Welcome to Is This Legal? Here are your hosts, attorneys Colin McCallan and Russell Hebbins. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Is This Legal? My name's Russell Hebbets, and I am here with my partner in crime, Colin McCallan. Say hi, hi Colin. Hi, and uh, you should know we are partners in crime, and that's why I'm going right to the DA to flip on your butt. Ah, I'm telling him everything I know. That is exactly what we're going to be talking about today, witness flipping, um, especially given the national news media with Michael Cohen and Paul Manafort and everything that kind of is buzzing around the Trump organization, the Trump administration. Um, We're going to talk about witness flipping because that's something that comes up quite a lot in a lot of different criminal prosecutions. And it's something that a lot of people only have a very vague and very general idea about. So recently, Michael Cohen pled guilty to a number of crimes and more recently Paul Manafort he after being found guilty of a number of crimes he was set for a separate criminal trial and prior to that trial he entered into a cooperation agreement with federal prosecutors which essentially involved flipping that's right So flipping, what are we talking about here? We are talking about where um, the government, through a prosecution, through a prosecutor, um, enters into an agreement with a witness, uh, and usually what that entails is the witness will offer information about a criminal enterprise or a criminal co-defendant. That that would be part of their agreement. And it's generally used in bigger cases, right? It's, it's normally, you, you see it often in drug rings or in gang cases or in complex financial crimes where, you know, essentially the prosecutors are trying to get a very clear picture of the organization and perhaps trying to get specific evidence against other co-conspirators. And they they have a general goal of wanting to uh, reach the top of the ladder of the criminal enterprise. Yeah, you you generally want to flip up. Right. You You, you don't want to flip down. It doesn't always happen, but, you know, for a drug enterprise, for example, um, what usually happens is, uh, you know, 50 people get arrested in a drug ring. Um, The lower-level dealers then make cooperation agreements or flip on the higher-ups, on the kingpins. And um, those are really who the prosecutors are targeting. They're looking for the top of the rung. Now, sometimes it doesn't always work out that way, especially if there's a criminal enterprise that, um, that the, inve- the criminal investigation doesn't shed a lot of light on, where everybody's kind of in the dark as to who the players are. Right. You can have, you know, you have, let's say, police swoop down and come into a, a drug mill, right? So you have people who are cutting drugs, packaging drugs, shipping drugs. They just arrest everyone. Right. Right. So this could be a 30 co-defendant. Oh, and by the way, they charge everybody with the same crime. They charge you with like... Everything. Everything they can. Right. Knowing that they have leverage over all of these people to get them to cooperate for lesser time in prison. Well, knowing that and, and knowing that they don't have a clear picture about who's doing what on that site. Right. So, you know, if one of those defendants comes to our firm, for example, and we're defending them, you know, we 
very possibly will say, hey, we need to contact the prosecutor. And are we going to take our time in doing that? If we're talking about a lower level um, person in the enterprise, we're going to want to get that person front and center immediately. Now, there may be a reason why if we're representing someone higher up, we may also want to consider um, bringing what we know to the prosecutor uh, to see if we can spare our client a lighter sentence in that case as well. But there is definitely going to be a song and dance involved between the defense attorney and the prosecutor in terms of how these things go. So actually, let's talk about that. Russ, uh, who starts this process? Who reaches out to who? The defense attorney or the prosecutor? It could be either side. So this this could be initiated by defense attorney saying, hey, you know, my client wants to come in and and talk or it could be the prosecution. You know, if, if, if you have a prosecutor who thinks they know someone who has information but maybe isn't one of the main players, then they may reach out to that person and say, hey, you know, John Doe, I know that, you know, or, or Mr. McAllen, I know that John Doe, who you're representing, isn't um, one of the main guys here. Um, I'm looking for information, and I can make it a lot better for your guy, for John Doe, if he comes in and cooperates. Is that something he's willing to do? So then what would happen is, is what I would do in that situation is I'd say, let me talk to my client and I'll get back with you. I would then need to sit down with my client and vet him. Okay, I would need to basically pretend I'm the prosecutor and interview my own client and find out what he knows, find out what's useful, find out what he doesn't know. And find out if he's being truthful. Absolutely. Or that's if he's hiding and not just... Oh, yeah. That's a huge component of it because, look, the, 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 the criminal defendant that I'm representing is not stupid. They're going to want to say anything they can right. to get a better uh, opportunity in front of the, uh, the prosecutor. You have to make sure that you don't send the prosecution and their cops into a wild goose chase looking for evidence that doesn't exist. Oh, and, and I've, I've had it. I've had client go in where my client didn't make things up, but was left out so much that it was useless. Right. I mean, and and at that point, the prosecutor is going to say, why am I even talking to you at all? Right. Why am I going to offer you anything? Exactly. Like you're completely, you're not, you're not coming to it from a place of truthfulness. Exactly. And prosecutors, that's really important to them because remember, they still have the burden of proof against the, the higher up or whoever they're trying to prosecute. They're going to want reliable evidence. And, and they, they don't like relying on flipping witnesses. We're going to talk more about that later. Um, they really just want to see if they can use the information the person has uh, you know, to, to investigate that, to see if it leads to more fruitful evidence against their target. So what all of this we're talking about, before this is all before we actually have a cooperation agreement. Right. This is all in the context of what's called a proffer. The defense makes a proffer to the prosecution saying, essentially, here is the information that I generally have. Is this of use? And is this something that can get me a better, put, put me in a better position with my charges? Now, let's talk about this proffer for a second. This is very important from the perspective of the criminal defense attorney representing the witness who is being flipped, okay? Um, what I want to do when I'm representing that person is I want to prevent my client from making any statement whatsoever. 
Um, once you do that, once you put your client under oath, you expose him to future impeachment if he's ever called to a witness. Uh, not only that, but you implicate his Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. So what I like to do is I like to say, I meet with the prosecutor and I say, here's what I expect my client to say, X, Y, Z. And I essentially act as a liaison between my client and the prosecutor. Now, some prosecutors or some jurisdictions, they say, sorry, that's not good enough. Um, we are going to require the client to either write out a written statement or more commonly, the client, the, the client will have to sit down with the criminal investigators in the case and make a full, basically be available for a full interview about the entire criminal enterprise. And if, if you're going to go that way, you need to make sure that that proffer agreement includes in it an agreement to not use that statement against your client, at least in the case in chief. So what, yeah. what, I, what right. I mean by that is, what I mean by that is, you can't, if, if the client comes in and says, yes, I was um, a mule for a drug ring and I transported heroin, 50 times between states over the past six months. You need to make sure that that cannot be used as a confession. That can't be used in a case in chief against your client. Now, that could be used to do more investigation. So the prosecutor could take that information, investigate what you told them, and if new crimes are uncovered through that investigation, the client's exposed to that. Also, if the client gets up on the stand and says, nope, I never acted as a mule, I never transported any illegal drugs, then the proffer can come in and is admissible for perjury and can be used for any purpose at that point. Right. But, but you're right. Generally speaking, a prosecutor will let the, uh, the client know, look, we are, we're not going to use whatever you tell us directly against you. It would only be if you don't fulfill your end of the cooperation agreement where we will, you know, come at you with the full force of the law and right. go after you. And, and that's part of the reason you need to be really careful for when, when vetting. You're talking as, about the defense attorney. I'm talking yes. about defense attorney, right. So we need to be very careful. The defense attorney needs to be very careful when vetting their client because if it does indirectly lead to, like, suddenly it turns out that, in the context of shipping drugs, you laundered $2 million, and that's easily detectable from investigation. You know, you probably don't, we probably don't want to have our client go in and make that proffer. Right, exactly. And there are times where we say, we, we meet with the client, and we either are like, okay, this person just can't be believed, right. or their information can't be corroborated. Where we tell the person, you know what, <laughs> we're keeping you silent. We, you, you offer nothing to the table. Um, we're not going to march you in and waive your Fifth Amendment rights to make a bunch of statements that either are either untrue or of no value to the prosecution. Right, and and the key point, you know, prosecutors are generally pretty intelligent people, mm -hmm. and they are going to require require that your client not withhold anything and tell the truth about everything right truth so you have to tell the truth and you have to tell all of the truth both of those things are prerequisites so ideally for the prosecution what they are then going to do when they have this information is they're going to want to take it and investigate it and what they're hoping to achieve 
by investigating the contents of the proffer, whether that came from the defense attorney or directly from the horse's mouth in the case if the defendant made an interview about what happened to the authorities, the, the prosecutors are going to want to vet that information themselves, run it down. You know, the, the, the client says, well, here, I, I stash my money in this bank account. Here's where you can find it. Those investigators are going to want to track down that bank account, find out when it was opened, who it was opened by, uh, because they're, they're, they're going to want to be able to say, look, we're not just relying on this guy's right, word. Right. We went they, and actually found this stuff out, yeah. and it turns out what this guy was telling us is the truth. They need to corroborate it because there's a very high likelihood that that witness, that flipping witness, is going to be testifying in a future court proceeding. And if they're going to be testifying, you're not going to put that person up on the stand and say, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you have to believe Zeke over here because he's obviously telling you the truth when when he's he's a criminal right so you have to investigate it to get that corroborating evidence so that a jury can look at it and say yes i believe old zeke over there because there's a bank account there's a bank statement here that shows that there's the bank manager who remembers seeing Zeke going in and out of the branch. So you have to have that level of credibility if you're going to use someone in a prosecution. And again, we talked about this a little bit, but if the if the person is found out to be lying to the prosecutors, not only does the cooperation agreement dissolve, but that defendant who you marched in and made all these statements to can then be charged with lying to prosecutors or providing false information to authorities. And again, this is on the defense attorney to make sure that the client they are representing, the client to be flipped, understands every single ramification that could happen as a result of them basically opening their mouths and singing. Right, right. So now so now the, the best case scenario from a defense perspective is if a prosecutor is willing to give immunity. Immunity. That's a really tricky thing for a prosecutor to do. I can tell you as a former prosecutor, we hate give, granting immunity to people. So and I, I could tell you as a, uh, well, I used to be a former prosecutor, but as a defense attorney, we love getting immunity <laughs> for people. Immunity. Oh, yeah. If we get immunity, that's, that's beautiful. Russ, what is immunity? Immunity is essentially the prosecution agrees that anything you say will not be used against you. Yeah. Now... Obviously, the reason that prosecutors don't want to grant people immunity as a matter of course is because it, it, it makes it look to the jury that the witness's testimony is essentially bought and paid for. This guy is going to say everything that the prosecutor wants, and if he does that, his little case gets dismissed. And that can be, by the way, that, that, that is fodder for cross-examination for the defense attorney. Right. And I'm talking about the defense attorney for the target of the flipping. Right. The right. defense attorney can say, okay, isn't it true, Mr. Zeke, that the prosecutor, you were facing uh, you know, 12 years in prison for the charge defense, and you're not going to jail at all because right. of your presence in court today. Right. It's really tricky for prosecutors to do this. They very, very, very seldom do it. Um, you know, more often they will, they will grant some benefit on the flipper but it is very seldom a, a full immunity where they're not getting charged at all. I mean, you look at the, uh, the Paul Manafort trial where Mr. Manafort was convicted of multiple counts. That's the exact strategy his defense team employed against 
Gates. Right. The, what? Rick Gates. He Rick was Gates. The, he was uh, for all of you. Rick Gates was the. Uh, I guess he was the, the flipper business partner of right. Paul Manafort who testified. Hey. Paul Manafort and I together were engaged in all of this illegal activity. Gates got some sort of deal uh, for his testimony. I, I, maybe he didn't. Maybe, maybe he didn't get yeah, a deal, I'm, but he was hoping for a deal right. by by flipping against Manafort. Right, and and, and that's what the the defense attorney came in, and that was their argument. They said, you know what, you can't trust this guy. This guy is telling you that he's a criminal. He is saving his own ass. And he's trying to pin everything on Manafort, right. and he's the one who did everything. Now, in, in that case, it wasn't wasn't too believable. There was there was right. a great line by the prosecutor. I'm not going to get it exactly, but it's something like the defense expects you to believe that Mr. Gates defrauded all these people to put 14 million dollars in Mr. Manafort's pocket. Right. We should all be so lucky. Right. <laughs> Well, and of course, in that case, in addition to Gates' testimony, there were also just there was a large paper trail yeah, that, 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 that that prosecutors could also rely on, rather than just having to camp their whole right. case right on Gates' shoulders. Again, all of that paper trail substantiated what Gates said, so it wasn't just the testimony of the flipper. Now, real quick, there was a quick point that we just alluded to that I want to make clear: nothing has to be promised to the flipper. In fact, prosecutors try like heck to not promise them anything. Um, what, if I'm a defense attorney representing, representing a flipper, though, what I'm going to want to do is get the proffer in, get them to testify as soon as possible so that on the back end, after they've cooperated, then I can say, hey, look, prosecutors, my client did all this stuff. He came in voluntarily. He did this. I want a reduced sentence for his original charges. Um, the prosecutor is within their rights to say, sorry, uh, we're not going to do that. It depends on the terms of the cooperation agreement. But often you have you have people who are just hoping for a better deal. Well, how about Michael Cohen? That's a perfect example. I was just, just going to interject. Michael Cohen is the perfect example. Michael Cohen pled guilty to multiple counts without a cooperation agreement. There was not a cooperation agreement attached to his guilty pleas. However, he or his lawyers, through his lawyers, has said in no uncertain terms, I am happy to talk about everything or anything that prosecutors want to talk to me about. And the reason he's doing that is because prosecutors still have the ability to ask for a sentence reduction. In federal court, it's called a 5K letter. And what it does is it is a downward deviation from the statutory sentencing guidelines based upon cooperation. They don't have to have a cooperation agreement in order to ask for that downward deviation. And his sentencing is not set until December. So there is plenty of time for things to progress and for Michael Cohen's testimony to be useful to prosecutors and for prosecutors to to ask for that downward deviation. Right, exactly. Now, um, you know, it, 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 we've been talking about federal crimes and, and you know, these, these special cases that we've been reading about the news, but witness flipping, it, you know, it, we see this in a lot of different cases. It can happen in drug cases. It can happen in gang cases. Um, that, that's, a, that's a really, this can be a problematic area for prosecutors. Let's say there's a gang shooting, okay? And you've, you, you all have heard the term, Look, you're not supposed to snitch on people when they uh, when they if you know something, 
that's related to a crime that prosecutors investigating. Well, sometimes people still do cooperate, or to use the street term, snitch. And this could be a big problem for prosecutors if they don't have a lot of other evidence. The way they usually approach this is they tell the jury, they set it up. If, if, if they have a flipper yeah. testifying who maybe has yeah, maybe uh, it's a, a jail, shady... Yeah, maybe it's a jailhouse snitch who, right. who was a cellmate of the defendant they're prosecuting so, who has so some not, loose lips or so something like that. We're, we're not talking about the you know soccer mom who has no prior felony convictions. We're not no. talking about the pastor of your local church no. whose credibility is beyond impeachment. We're talking about some shady characters. Th- th- these are people with criminal histories, with you know, people who have been in prison. Would you say shady characters? <laughs> Often they are shady characters. Yes, I thought so. And pr- you know, so if I, if when I was a prosecutor and I had a case like that, I would want to prepare the jury for this. I'd want to prepare the jury that they are going to hear from people who have really bad criminal histories. And what I would say is, look, there's an old expression that says, when you cast a play in hell, you can't expect all of the actors to be angels. You know, you you aren't going to have these pristine witnesses with no criminal history, with with no. Uh, exposure for impeachment. You're often going to have these individuals who have lengthy criminal histories who clearly have a motivation to lie. Right. And you can only hope that the jury sees through that and convicts, you know, the guy that you're trying to prosecute. But these these things are definitely problems for prosecutors if they can't back them up. Right. I totally agree. So so here's something that comes up often, comes up so often with with our clients. Our clients get contacted by the police, maybe even get booked. Let's give an example. What, what, what do we see often? Someone gets picked up. So we practice a lot of our practices in Denver. Someone gets picked up, let's say, in Civic Center Park with heroin. Now, this is a small amount of heroin. They are picked up, but heroin, possession of heroin is a felony. Still a big deal. Still a big deal, right? It's a drug felony. So the police say, hey, I tell you what, you go ahead and give us information about where you got this from. We're going to make this case so much easier on you. We're going to make this case no big deal. We're going to put in a word with the prosecutor. We're going to make sure you don't do any jail time. We don't care about your prior offenses. We don't really want you. We want the bigger fish. And if you cooperate with us, We'll just make this case go away. That is invalid. Uh, everything that that cop just said. Um, what can the police do if, uh, to, to harken back to those faithful listeners who've listened to all our podcasts, if we go back to our episode on interacting with the police, Russ, what can the police do with virtually everybody? Police can lie. Police not only can lie, police do lie. They, they can, can manipulate, they, they can tell you whatever you want They can say want whatever they want to say. They are under no obligation to tell you the truth about anything. And, and so that agreement, that, that, that proposition that the police officer has made to that, the defendant. That agreement. And for yeah. everyone out there in Radio <laughs> Land, I am doing air quotes right now. <laughs> it, it, that agreement is not an agreement at all. Um, the police are not bound by it. Uh, frankly, the, the, the defendant, the, the guy with the heroin, is not bound by it. But that guy doesn't know that. Right. What they often do in drug cases, um, and we've seen this with prostitution rings too, is they say, okay, defendant, you get me three names. Right. You get me three names, and if you get me three names of people that we can investigate, we will make your case go away. Or, or we get you three actual, like, 
we'll mic you up. Yeah. You get us three arrests, and then we'll make your case go away. And then after the three arrests, there's nothing that keeps them from saying... We want more. Yeah, you know what? We, we want one more. You know, those, you, you did such a good job for us, but those three weren't, weren't good enough. They're not big enough, so we, and, yeah. we want another one. So when we get that client, we tell them, you're going to stop talking to this guy right away. This right. guy is not your friend. This guy is not helping you out in any way. Th- that guy, that police officer, that detective, well, whoever it is, sergeant, lieutenant, detective, does not have the authority to make that agreement. Exactly. Any agreement comes from the prosecutor. And it's in writing. And it's in writing. So, I mean, you know, the proffer can be in writing. Again, the interview can be taped and recorded. All of these things, there is a record of the proceedings. And if the agreement falls apart, it falls apart. But that information is protected and usually can't be used against the flipper under, unless we, there were those exceptions we talked about earlier. And that's the only way you yeah. do it. So the bottom line is if you are ever approached by the police and they want to turn state's evidence against you, <laughs> what you're going to say is, I'd like to talk to my lawyer and maybe we'll talk to the prosecutor, but I'm not talking to you, officer or so-and-so. Yeah, and, and make sure you get a good lawyer. Exactly. Um, I know of two. Uh, right, right. They're both in this room right now. <laughs> uh, so... Folks, that is a little primer for you on witness flipping. It's going to be very interesting to, you know, right right now when this episode is being taped, we have absolutely no idea what, if anything, Paul Manafort is going to say. Um, We just know he he does have a cooperation agreement. That's right. We just don't know what he's agreed to cooperate on or what evidence he has. And we usually know that uh, if he has a prosecute, if he has a a cooperation agreement, that means that he knows something that is of some use to the prosecutors. Right. Doesn't necessarily mean it's against Trump. Yeah. But it could be. Who knows? And so we may we may have to do a part two to this one once. once all hell breaks loose <laughs> and we find out what Paul Manafort is actually going to cooperate in. Exactly. So, well, until then, we want to remind you that you can find us at our Twitter handle at Is This Legal Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at our Hebbets and McAllen page. In the meantime, in the spirit of this podcast, we will catch everyone on the flip side. <laughs> 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 You've been listening to Is This Legal? See you next time.